turn with me in your Bibles to the book of Revelation. Today we begin a journey through this last and final book of what God has given to us in the Scriptures. Every generation, it seems, has been kind of intrigued and fascinated by how the world will end, doesn't it? Every generation has its thing. Ancient writings and books and movies nowadays and podcast discussions. There's fascination with this topic of the things of the end. And perhaps you've been looking forward to this study as we've been talking about it. Maybe you've had great anticipation about it. Prophecy, the end times, you know, discussing the intricate details of it all. Maybe that fascinates you. Others, maybe not so much, right? And uh, you're, we're beginning this study, and on your mind, is just like, oh, how long are we going to be in this study, right? How many weeks will I have to endure uh, the book of Revelation? And uh, if you're looking forward to it, uh, perhaps that's because you're interested in my thoughts on the latest current events, right, and how they fit into the prophetic timeline of Scripture. The October 7th uh, attack of Hamas on Israel is one such example that has filled the airwaves and so forth in recent months. Uh, Many have sought to fit that event into the prophetic timeline of the end times. Or perhaps uh, you wonder if I have thoughts on which world leader is the latest contender for the role of Antichrist in the prophetic drama that is laid out in Revelation. Maybe those are the kind of things you're looking forward to, and if so, I might disappoint you. I'll just say that. but maybe you're not so excited about it. Maybe you're not so about it because, man, um, you know, this revelation it kind of intimidates you. Uh, maybe even more deeply, it, it, it makes you uncomfortable. It can terrify people. They avoid it because of the symbolism and the imagery and so on that it contains. And, uh, you know, for many in that boat, uh, their response to revelation is just kind of like, well, God wins. Let's study something else, right? Um, and so maybe that's where you're at. In the midst of that, uh, this, uh, this time, I acknowledge um, we, we kind of have it all probably within uh, the midst of our congregation. And so if you are one asking, like, how long, oh, Lord, you know, uh, will we be in this study? Uh, 20 weeks is what I have it laid out for right now to study the, the 22 chapters of Revelation. And so we'll look at some of it in larger chunks, and we'll break some of it down into smaller pieces and all of that. So... It'll take us uh, into just the first part of June with other things and all that going on. So 20 weeks uh, is uh, what I anticipate at this time, unless the Lord leads otherwise as we go along. Uh, But the bottom line is that I don't know what expectation you might have going into this, right? I don't don't know where you're at uh, in relationship to it. What I do know is that there are two very typical mindsets uh, in studying Revelation. One is uh, the uninterested and the other is the overfixated. All right, the uh, the uninterested uh, tends to uh, develop someone that's that's uninformed, uh, unmotivated uh, by what God has given to us in Revelation. Uh, maybe some misunderstandings about it because they haven't taken the time to to study it. Uh, and uh, so that person, the uninformed person or uninterested person, tends to avoid conversations about it. And we want to be careful not to ignore it or be dismissive of it. I think the scripture warns us of this in 1 Thessalonians chapter 4 and verse 13, as Paul is addressing uh, some of the same kind of mindsets we see today regarding the end times and the return of Christ and all that. Paul is addressing that hearts have always been the same. And he says to them, we do not want you to be uninformed, brothers, 
uh, about those who are asleep. That's referring to those who have already died in Christ, right? And we don't you be uninformed that you may not grieve as others do who have no hope. Uh, therefore, in verse 18, he drops down and he says this, therefore, encourage one another with these words. So uh, we want to be encouraged by the message of revelation. We want to be uninformed. We want to be informed in a proper way. And uh, the, those who tend to be overfixated uh, are those who tend to exaggerate things, perhaps, or make assumptions about things or, or, or promote speculations about things. And and even draw wrong conclusions. And so at times we go too far and try to draw conclusions that quite honestly aren't ours to make. God has not given to us those things in his words. We need to be careful of that. Uh, in First Thessalonians chapter 5, a little bit later, Paul addresses this with the church in Thessalonians. He says, now concerning the times and the seasons, brothers, you have no need to have anything written to you. You don't, you don't need further explanation. Why? For you yourselves are fully aware that the day of the Lord will come like a thief in the night. While people are saying there is peace and security, then sudden destruction will come upon them as labor pains come upon a pregnant woman, and they will not escape. But you are not in darkness, brothers, for that day to surprise you like a thief. What's he saying? He's saying, listen, you, you know and understand uh, how things will come about and what way they will happen. And even though it will come as a thief in the night, it doesn't need to shock you or surprise you that it does. You're not in darkness in that. You are in the light. We can understand and be informed of how God will accomplish his work. We may not know the specifics of it, but we don't need to be surprised by it either. We are not in darkness in that way. And so uh, in Matthew chapter 24, uh, Jesus uh, is, is speaking here as Matthew records it, and the fulfillment of Matthew 24, I think, is found in the immediate sense in 70 AD when uh, the Romans destroyed the temple and all that. But this is the passage where he speaks of the fact there will be wars and rumors of wars. But in verse 6, he says, but the end is not yet. Right? There's, so there's going to be talk. There's going to be things that may make it seem like, but he says the end is not yet. And then tribulation and for those who follow him in his day, I think in particular, as we know of the 12 disciples, them being put to death and hated by all and the betrayal and so forth that comes into that. And in Matthew 24, 14, Jesus says, and this gospel of the kingdom will be proclaimed throughout the whole world as a testimony to all nations. And then the end will come. Well, here's the thing, though. We don't know when that will be when the gospel is proclaimed to all the nations. When is it that God will determine the gospel has gone out and been made known to the point that, that he is saying, okay, now is the time for that to, uh, to usher in the things of the end. Only God will be able to determine that. It's not for us to know. Um, and then I, I, that reminds me uh, of our study of Joshua. I just was thinking through this. Uh, um, remember, if you were with us when we studied the book of Joshua, and, and, and when Joshua led the nation of Israel into the promised land, and, uh, and so we went back to Genesis, actually, and said, why is it that God didn't lead them there sooner? Why is it that, and we know that sin and rebellion of the generation coming out of Egypt, why all these steps in the process? And in Genesis, we had a bit of a, a revealing as to the why when God tells them that the sin of the Amorites is not yet complete. 
know if you remember that, but, but that just like for me was a, a moment as in my study of the word that has sunk deeply, and, and, and God was saying that God was patiently waiting. Maybe it was a time for them to, to still come to repentance, but, but in God's eyes, right, this, this sin measure had not yet been complete. But when it was, right, when God determined that it was time, then they, they entered the promised land. And, uh, and as I think as we await the second coming of Christ, as we await these things of the end, what is it? Why is God waiting, right? It's because the time is not yet in God's eyes, right? And, and he says here, this, this testimony of the nations is one of those things. Will we, will, will we know when that? No, God, God will know. And in fact, Jesus himself, the son, doesn't know. Later on in Matthew 24 and verse 36, but concerning that day and hour, no one knows, not even the angels of heaven, nor the son, but the Father only. So God, the Father, knows when that time will be. I remember in my life, I was a freshman in high school back in uh, 1988-89, and some of you probably remember this. This is one of the most vivid uh, times, probably because I was an impressionable teenager, and it just was like, I remember people like... Uh, quitting their jobs because of this. I remember students asking, like, why should we even bother doing our homework because of this? But you remember the, the little pamphlet that came out, 88 Reasons Why Jesus Will Return in 1988? Right? This guy in his study of the word came up with this. And, and I mean, it was significant. There was like 3.2 million copies of this thing printed and uh, 200,000 pastors received this. And so it was a big deal. And I remember it vividly as kind of one of the earliest moments of my life of dealing with this uh, time of when someone was trying to be way too specific with God's plan. And as a matter of fact, they had it narrowed down even to uh, so some dates in September uh, that this would happen. And of course, September came and went of 1988. So it was a revision of, you know, 89 reasons of why I'll come in 89. And, and uh, 89 came and went. And uh, and so uh, we, we've seen this, and actually I think it's right for us to overstep our bounds and trying to figure out the things that the Word tells us, only the Father knows. What that does is actually harms the name of Christ, because you have people that are intrigued by that, and, I, and, and then it doesn't happen, and it's, see, it's just all a farce, right? Why, why believe in it? So when we step out of our, our bounds in what is God's plan and God's design and His way, right, we, we end up harming the name of Christ. And so we need to be careful of that. And of course, pop culture has influenced our perspective on these things. Many, maybe you've read the Tim LaHaye Left Behind series or things like that that have certainly influenced our culture and our understanding. And I just want to encourage you, let's, let's, let's go to the Word, right? Let's go to the Word together and seek to study in such a way that we uh, understand what God has for us in a way that He has given it to us to understand. Um, and not overstep our bounds. So my concern, of course, that I'm expressing is that at times we get focused on trying to figure out the time of Christ's return or other specifics of prophecy when really what we should be focused on is how to live faithfully according to the power of the Holy Spirit today, right? Uh, Help me live faithfully today as I patiently await whatever God is of your plan and in your time and in your way. Help me to live faithfully today. Um, So this doesn't mean that we shouldn't study Revelation, right, or other prophetic writings of the Scripture. Um, we just had a Christmas series, didn't we, of focusing upon the fulfilled prophecy of Christ and how meaningful that was for us to look, and man, uh, of how many ways God pointed to uh, the evidence of who Jesus was as His Son and the answer uh, to our desperate need of a Savior. And so uh, we, we study prophecy and those kind of things, 
Um, what, it, what it means is that we, we need to study it in its right context and in a right way. I heard uh, somebody in my study say this about it. They said, Revelation is not meant to be studied or read with your social media feed or newspaper, if you read one of those anymore. Right? Uh, not, it's not to be read with your social media feed or newspaper in one hand and your Bible in the other. Right? We ought not to live life with trying to, to constantly figure out this, this kind of correlation of current events to uh, Revelation. And, uh, and I agree with that. So here's our, our ground rules for our study. All right, there's five of them. We could probably list a little more, but here's just some things to help you know what my approach will be to this study as we go throughout it. Number one, uh, we'll seek to note the various genres of uh, literature that Revelation contains. There are a few different types throughout the study, so, and as we do interpretation of the Word of God, we approach uh, those a bit differently in our understanding, whether it's metaphorical or literal, and what is literal, what is metaphorical, all that kind of stuff, um, and so we'll, we'll seek to do that well. Uh, number two, we'll interpret Revelation in light of the rest of Scripture. I think that is really important. Revelation is not kind of its standalone story. Uh, Revelation is, is the continuum of, of, of all of the story of God, right? It is the latest book uh, written in, in 8090-ish, right, by, by John. And so it's the latest of the, copy, uh, of the books we have in the Bible. Um, so it's kind of the end of the story, but, but yet it's not a standalone story. So we need to read it as part of the whole of Scripture. Uh, and so that's what some people do. They get curious about Revelation. They just read it, and they try to understand it without understanding the rest of Scripture, right, uh, engaged in it, and that's where they come up with um, misinterpretations and so forth. So number three, uh, we'll keep our focus on Jesus. Uh, he is the central figure of it all, as we'll see more today as we go uh, through these first few verses. Uh, another ground rule is we'll avoid getting too specific, as I've mentioned along the way, the dangers of that. And then uh, a fifth ground rule is that our conclusion of the matter will be this. We want to be informed and encouraged followers of Christ. Um, and uh, that's our goal, to be informed and encouraged followers of Christ, uh, to not be in the darkness, if you will, as was uh, said earlier in Matthew, uh, according to, you know, of the end times, of the things coming, but yet also not to uh, try and get so specific that we do harm. So let's read the first eight verses of Revelation chapter 1 before you on the screen in case you need a copy of that to, to follow along. But let's read uh, Revelation 1. It says, The revelation of Jesus Christ, which God gave him to show to his servants the things that must soon take place. He made it known by sending his angel to his servant John, who bore witness to the word of God and to the testimony of Jesus Christ, even to all that he saw. Blessed is the one who reads aloud the words of this prophecy, and blessed are those who hear and who keep what is written in it, for the time is near. And John, to the seven churches that are in Asia, grace to you and peace from him who is and who was and who is to come, and from the seven spirits who are before his throne, and from Jesus Christ, the faithful witness, the firstborn of the dead, and the ruler of of kings on earth, to him who loves us and has freed us from our sins by his blood and made us a kingdom, priest to his God and Father, to him be glory and dominion forever and ever. Amen. Behold, he is coming with the clouds, and every eye will see him, every, uh, even those who pierced him, and all tribes of earth will wail on account of him, even so. Amen. 
I am. Why don't you read verse 8 with me out loud? You ready? Here we go. I am the Alpha and the Omega, says the Lord God, who is and who was and who is to come, the Almighty. Father, we need you. Uh, we always need you. The power of your spirit as we study your word, uh, your spirit is our true teacher. And so, Lord, guide us uh, throughout this time. Help us to do well, to understand uh, what you have given to us, to put it in its right context, um, that it may encourage us, equip us, inform us as your children, those whom you have called into ministry in your kingdom, Lord, as priests. And we're grateful. Uh, so may we study it well. In Jesus' name I pray. Amen. So the first thing I want to note as verse 1 begins is that this is called uh, the revelation, not revelations, right? This is one revelation. This is a singular revelation given to John by Jesus. Now, the word revelation is where we get the word apocalypse. Um, and so whether it's movies or books or whatever, you may be familiar with hearing the word apocalypse. The word revelation is the Greek word apocalypsis. And so it is where we get that word, English word apocalypse. And what it simply means kind of in its basic form is the unveiling or the revealing. It means to uncover. It's like pulling back the curtain of a stage so that you can see what is behind. That is what revelation means, the apocalypse. Uh, unfortunately, today we've kind of made apocalypse synonymous with a whole bunch of chaos and catastrophe and all of this kind of stuff. And what it simply means is, in its basic form, is the unveiling. And here we have the unveiling or the revelation of Jesus Christ. It is from him and it is about him. I've titled this series, Jesus Reigns, for that matter, because that is where I want our focus to remain. To always keep in mind, this is a revelation about Jesus. It's about his kingdom. It's about the revelation of Jesus in a time uh, that the world will readily recognize who he is. And we have the blessing of seeing the glorified Christ in heaven and the fulfillment of his sovereign purposes in the world. Uh, and so I love what one commentator said about uh, keeping Jesus front and center. He, he said, you must not divorce the person from the prophecy, for without the person, there could be no fulfillment of the prophecy. Uh, so let's not get on a bunch of sidetracks, you know, about all of these uh, things uh, that we could focus our attention on. Let's, let's keep Jesus at the center of our study together. Uh, and so the father gave it to the son, the word says here, uh, to show his servants what must soon take place. So the father gave it to Jesus, gave it to the son to show his servants what must soon take place. So here we are confronted right away with uh, a question we have to grapple with and what we see is the timing of Revelation, the word soon. Here we are some 2,000 years removed from this writing of the Revelation. Would you call that soon, right? Uh, how soon is soon? Uh, as I mentioned in Thessalonians, right? They were already anticipating that, the, that Jesus would return like in their lifetime. They were waiting for him to come back. And so ever since he ascended into heaven, generations have been waiting for his return. So how soon is soon? We don't know, right? I mean, this is God's timing. This is God's plan. This is God's way. And uh, so 2,000 years um, removed from the writing of this book. And it reminds me of Hebrews chapter 11, uh, which describes the valiant faith of some Old Testament saints who never saw the first coming of Christ. They waited. They lived faithfully. 
They wanted that promise to be revealed in their time, and it was not. Yet they followed faithfully to the end. And then finally, Christ came when the Father determined it was the right time. So it is with us. We wait with patient endurance until whatever time the Father determines the completion of what is unveiled here. So we wait patiently um, for what will take place soon in the time span of God. Maybe not in our time span. And so Jesus, uh, the Father gives it, gives it to the Son. Jesus makes it known by angels to John, one of the 12 apostles uh, of Jesus. Uh, he wrote the Gospel of John. He wrote 1st, 2nd, and 3rd John. So he is the one, as verse 2 says here, the one who bore witness to the Word of God and to the testimony of Jesus Christ, even to all that he saw. So John was one of the eyewitnesses, and now he's receiving this revelation. We'll get into that a bit more as we look at verses 9 through 20 uh, next week. But John is expressing this and writing it as it's been given to him. So verse 3, blessed is the one who reads aloud the words of this prophecy, and blessed are those who hear and who keep what is written in it, for the time is near. So who wants a blessing? Right? All of us want a blessing. Well, we have something promised to us here, right? Blessed is the one who reads aloud. Why read aloud? Well, because they didn't have individual copies of the scriptures. The public reading of the scripture was the primary way of learning it. And so those who would read aloud were blessed as they kept it in front of the listeners. Those who listened well were blessed in their listening. Uh, But note it doesn't stop there. It doesn't just stop with the reading and the listening. What else does it say? Blessed are those who hear and to keep the message that is given. So there is something for us to hear and something for us to follow and obey in the midst of it. So one thing I think we can conclude at the outset here is that your view of what happens in the end influences how you live today. Right? This is something to hear and not just anticipate and, and, and wait for in the future, but know as we, as we are informed followers of Christ and priests serving in his kingdom, how does that impact how we live today? Uh, this is, has practical application to our lives, and we will seek to uh, see that as we go throughout. So let's receive that blessing by reading it, studying it well, listening well, and l- responding in obedience. Verse 4, John, to the seven churches that are in Asia, grace to you and peace from him who is and who was and who is to come, and from the seven spirits who are before his throne, and from Jesus Christ, the faithful witness, the firstborn of the dead, and the ruler of kings on earth. So John, as we mentioned, uh, is, is giving to us this message as given to him by Jesus through the angelic visit. And uh, we'll study a bit more about that next week, as I said. But the seven churches, uh, here we are presented right off the bat with this uh, number seven. Uh, The number seven is mentioned uh, more than 50 times throughout Revelation, so we'll have opportunity to kind of revisit it. But I want us to uh, have an understanding here of the numbers in general in Revelation. Uh, One way that some seek to study the Scripture is what's referred to as numerology. Uh, they, they go through and they, they find all of these kind of combinations of the numbers of scriptures or seek to uh, 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 define the significance of certain numbers in the scriptures. And, and sometimes they come up with these kind of codes almost, right? And if you follow these numbers, then there's, you know, ah, this is what God is telling us. Listen, 
I don't get too deep into numerology in studying the scriptures. I just want you to know. But I do acknowledge the fact that there, are, there is significance to some of the numbers in the scriptures, right? So this is one of those things. Again, we want to we wanna seek to understand it well, but we wanna, don't want to overstep our bounds by making the word say something that God doesn't intend for it to say because we can kind of combine these things together and come out with some, you know, hidden message in the scriptures. Uh, so, but the number seven is a number in the word that seems to communicate uh, completion, or a finished state of something. We see it right from the get-go in, the, in, the, in Genesis, in the created order, right? Six days of creation. On the seventh day, God rested, right? There was a sense of completion. There was a finished work that God communicated. He didn't rest because he needed it. He, he rested to give us an example, to give us a model, uh, and to also give a sense of completion. This was done. And so, in a sense, divine perfection, if you will, that the number seven communicates. Now, at other times in the scriptures, the number seven simply means seven, right? When we think about Noah and him putting the animals on the ark, not only was it two by two, but God gave to him seven of the, of the clean animals. And so, well, how many of the animals? Like, this wasn't a divine, I don't think it's intended to communicate. This is a divine perfection of number of it. Like, this was just... Seven. I don't know. It just seems to me like seven means seven in that instance. So, so as we study the word, we one of our goals is to do well of like understanding the significance of, of numbers. So the seven churches, um, these were specific churches. We'll get into it here in the next couple of chapters. We'll see the the direct message to each of those churches. So they were specific and real churches of the day, churches that John would have been familiar with. They would have been acquainted with John. Um, And they are addressed here specifically at the outset of uh, this revelation. There was a message intended for each of them specifically. Now, I think what we can determine is this was not only a message for those seven churches of the day, but this these seven churches, why seven? Why not five? Why not ten? Right? There were more churches than seven. There were, you know, God could have communicated with less churches than seven, fewer churches. Why, why seven? Well, maybe what God is saying here, this is a message for the complete church of God, right? Throughout history, this is a message for you and me who live here 2,000 years later. Uh, even though the soon has not yet happened, uh, this is a message that we still are to listen to and to hold to and to follow in obedience to. So the seven churches representing the church of Christ as a whole throughout history. Uh, that seems to be a reasonable um, understanding of why the seven churches. And he says to them, grace to you and peace. And these are repeated themes throughout the scriptures. I, I love them. It's why I say to you, at the end of nearly every service, may God's grace and peace be multiplied to you. This is, these are repeated things that we read in the scripture. And so um, nothing new here for us per se. But he says, grace to you and peace from the Father and from these seven spirits and from the Son. So the Father, the one who is, who was, who is to come, the eternal nature of the Father. Certainly we see that taught in the scriptures. And then we have these seven spirits who are before his throne. So again, seven spirits before the throne. Who, where are these seven spirits? Um, what are they uh, identifying here? Um, and uh, in Isaiah chapter 11, many scholars believe what John is, what, what the, the, the revelation is revealing to John in this is, is uh, what we read in Isaiah chapter 11, verse 2, kind of the sevenfold nature of the Holy Spirit, if you will. 
in Isaiah 11.2, uh, Isaiah speaks of this, And the Spirit of the Lord shall rest upon him, the Spirit of wisdom and understanding, the Spirit of counsel and might, the Spirit of knowledge and the fear of the Lord. And so the Holy Spirit, uh, one of the three persons of the Trinity, of the triune God, Father, Son, and Holy Spirit here, the seven spirits, um, uh, perhaps referencing the, the sevenfold nature of the Holy Spirit, if you will, the spirit of wisdom and understanding and counsel and might and so on, the seven aspects of the spirit that Isaiah references. Perhaps that's what is here. Uh, the seven spirits will show up later in our study as well. But I think it is reasonable to understand what John is doing here is saying, grace and peace to you from Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. This is a reference to the Trinity, so it seems to uh, fit and be reasonable to think of those seven spirits as the Spirit of God before His throne. Uh, and so again, that seven spirits, the reference to perfection, the Holy Spirit being that is of, of the completion and the fullness of God represented uh, in us, uh, His followers, as, as the Spirit of God dwells in us, um, seems uh, a reasonable understanding of that particular uh, mention of the seven spirits. And then we have Jesus, of course, the faithful witness, um, the one who testified of the Father as he came. He was the exact representation of the Father. He was the firstborn of the dead, meaning his resurrection is of primary importance and the first importance among all. And, uh, and through the resurrection, we have the living hope of Christ. Um, we read in the Word that without the resurrection, our faith is futile, don't we? And so here, uh, certainly important that he recognizes the firstborn of uh, Christ, uh, the firstborn of the dead. And then the ruler of kings on earth. He is the king of kings and the Lord of lords. Amen? And, and so this clear identity of the son, the one who reigns. Um, so verse 5. This grace and peace, and, and then uh, John kind of seems to, uh, to insert this a bit, if you will. He gets so excited about what he's writing, it's almost as if he can't help but, but, but insert this bit of doxology, this bit of praise. And he says in verse 5, to him, Jesus, right, uh, to him who loves us, listen to that, um, amidst all of the fascinating imagery and symbolism of, of Revelation, where do we begin? We begin with the love of Jesus, right, the one who loves us. And has freed us from our sins by his blood and made us a kingdom priest to his God and Father. To him be glory and dominion forever and ever. Amen. So, so John kind of inserts this, this, uh, this you know, moment of praise, right? The son. Yes, remember the son. And, and so how thankful we can be that before we get into all of the rest of what is to come, John reminds us of the wonderful truth of the gospel and who Jesus is, um, that he is our glorious Savior, the one through whom we have forgiveness of sin, um, and the one who has freed us by his blood, the one who loves us, the one who made us a kingdom. Remember, the scripture tells us we are a priesthood of believers, you, me, as followers of Christ, we serve in the kingdom of God. So all that is yet to come as we see the kingdom of God revealed, guess who gets to be part of it? You and me, right? We're priests in his kingdom. And so we can anticipate uh, what is to come, not because it scares us or intimidates, but because, man, we get to be part of it um, as the sun reigns. To him be glory and dominion forever and ever. Amen. Right? 
And in John 15, 9, Jesus does this just as we focus upon his love. As the Father has loved me, so have I loved you. Abide in my love. And so as we go throughout this study, that's one thing we want to focus is abiding in the love of Christ, realizing this, this is a testimony of, of, of him reigning and ruling and his revelation, and we get to abide in his love. Truly amazing. Uh, verse 7. Behold, he is coming with the clouds. There's a promise there, right? That is anticipation. He is coming. There's a promise. And every eye will see him, even those who pierced him. And all tribes of the earth will wail on account of him. Even so, amen. So be it. I am the Alpha and the Omega, says the Lord God, who is and who was and who is to come, the Almighty. It says here that every eye will see when he comes, right? Uh, with the clouds, every eye will see him, even those who pierced him. As I was studying this week, that caused me to reflect on Philippians 2, which we briefly mentioned throughout our, our song, that, 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 that every tongue will, right, every knee will bow and every tongue will confess that Jesus is Lord. This revelation is something that everyone will acknowledge. And check here, even those who pierced him. Imagine what that will be like, right, if you were one of those who... who Put those nails in the feet of Jesus and in his hands and put that crown of thorns. Imagine if you were one of those soldiers who mocked him. And there will come a time when the entire world, everyone, will acknowledge Jesus as Lord. And you can imagine that revelation coming to them and just the, the, the disappointment, right, that they, that they will feel in that moment. And um, just incredible to, to think about. But every eye will see him. All the tribes of the earth will wail on account of him. Why? Again, because there's that sense of accountability to him. There's that sense of, of, of like awe and reverence that everyone will have. That's why. Um, Matthew 28, we love to take so seriously to go and make disciples of all nations because every nation, every tribe, every person, right, gives an account to Jesus as the one who reigns. And they need to know. And so as we take that seriously, may we not be so enamored by the nations that we fail to see the need that is right in front of us, right here in Marshall County, in Plymouth, and Walkerton, or wherever you live, Rochester, right? Wherever you live, may we not, may we not be so enamored by the nations that we fail to see the need right in front of us. And may we not be so focused on what is right in front of us that we fail to not go to the nations. Amen? Um, we want to be a church that, that is both near and far and seeks to make disciples uh, so that when that time comes, uh, those who we've been able to share Christ with will be rejoicing and not wailing, right, um, because of the hope in Christ. And then we love verse 8. I am the Alpha and the Omega, says the Lord God, who is and who was and who is to come, the Almighty. And just listen to the power of those words, right? Let them sink in a little bit to your mind and your soul. I am the Alpha and Omega, says the Lord, who is and who was and who is to come, the Almighty. There is none greater. He is the eternal God from eternity past to eternity future. He is God. And as God the Father and God the Son and God the Holy Spirit, God reigns. The words Alpha and Omega um, are the first and last letters of the Greek alphabet. And uh, 
the Jewish rabbis in the day, it was common for them to use the Hebrew alphabet and to use the first and last letters of the Hebrew alphabet to denote the whole of anything, right? The, from beginning to end, the entirety of, of anything, they would use that kind of statement. So here it's the Greek letters, alpha and omega, to note that he is the beginning and the end. He is the wholeness of all that is. And uh, if you're a follower of Jesus, saved and born again, right, this gives hope and assurance. This is a blessing for us as we read this uh, revelation today. Um, that verse 8 reminded me as I was thinking this week about uh, the experience of Moses in the burning bush, right? When Moses asked, who shall I say has sent me? I am that I am, right? I am the Alpha and Omega, the one who is and who was and who is to come. And we will see that repeated uh, uh, different times here throughout the Revelation as a reminder for us of where should our attention be. Not, not on the, the mystique, if you will, of what will unfold, not of the mystery of what will unfold, not trying to figure out all of the specific details of what is un, un, to unfold, but, to, but a reminder for us to keep our eyes where our eyes need to be, upon Jesus, upon the one who reigns, upon God, our Heavenly Father, who is the Alpha and Omega, the beginning and the end, the one who is and was who is to come. That's where our eyes need to be. And in that, there is so much hope, and there is so much rest um, in, what, in contemplating what is to come. Not fear, not intimidation, but rest. That he is in control. He is God. And uh, he invites us. He, he, he includes us in that plan as his followers. So that's where we're going to stop today. And so I want to ask the question, so what? All right. So what? Good stuff. Great truth to focus our minds on. But let's let's think maybe a bit by way of application. Here's the first thing that I would uh, want you to walk away with is that when you keep a high and lofty view of our Lord who reigns above all, you can maintain composure in times of rapid change and uncertainty. Right? We live in a world that is constantly changing. It's only you know, we're, we're more and more aware of it. It's not that it is maybe changing more now than ever, but it's that we're more aware of it because of all of our social media feeds and news and all that kind of stuff, right? And, and in the midst of all of that that can cause unrest in our hearts and in our souls, um, let's, let's keep our eyes focused upon the high and lofty and, and reverent view of Christ that he reigns above it all. Nothing is taking place outside of his control. And in that we have... Uh, rest in our soul. And, and number two, when you know the ultimate outcome, uh, you can relax and live with a sense of joy and purpose. So as we keep our eyes focused on Christ, we, we can live with that sense of rest, with joy and, and purpose uh, in life. Uh, as others around us may uh, feel that sense of, of, of unrest or anxiety, right, as they experience the tumultuous nature of the world around us, we can live with a sense of rest and assurance in Christ. And then thirdly, your responsibility today is to hear and obey God's word. So of what we read today, what, what, would, what would we say? Man, this is what God has told us we are to do with this or to do about this or to do in response to this. What was the blessing? Blessing to those who read aloud. 
right, to keep it in front of us. So it's good that we keep this, but blessed to those who hear and obey. So our responsibility today is to hear and obey God's word and to let him take care of the rest, right? Help me be faithful today, Lord Jesus. Help me to walk in obedience today. Help me to set my mind and my heart upon the Holy Spirit of God today, Lord Jesus, right? Help me to walk in the Spirit, not in the flesh, today, as I patiently await the fulfillment of what you have said will come. Amen? And so that's where we want to start our time. Let me pray for us, and then we're going to sing as we finish our time together. Father, we love you. We thank you for being so kind to us that you have chosen to give in your word um, a revelation, uh, a revealing, a a pulling back of the curtain to give us a glimpse of what is to come, your plan, the rest of the story. Lord, you have chosen by your grace to do that, and we're thankful. And I pray that as we study it well these next few weeks together, Lord, may it encourage us. Uh, may it be a blessing to us. May it be uh, something that, that, that certainly impacts how we live today by being informed of what is the future. And ultimately, Father, I pray that what we would see in the midst of this study over the next several weeks is that we would see Christ. We would see your Son, the one you sent to be the exact representation of your nature, to, to put on display for us who God is as Jesus lived in the flesh, and to, to be the one who died and who was raised to life and is the firstborn, and the firstborn of, of the resurrection, that he is uh, supreme and he is uh, eminent, Lord, among all. And, uh, Lord, we're grateful. Um, so help us to keep our eyes on Jesus and to see him more clearly through our time together in this book. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen.